Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit, and Anthony Smith came right up to me, and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told them the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do. And Tacovas has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Guys, the UFC is off this weekend, but we still got a lot to get to on today's show. Alex Piera at heavyweight? Is Edwards and Covington gonna happen, or will someone else swoop in to get the next welterweight title shot? I'm gonna get to all of that and a whole lot more on today's show, but guys, let's begin here. Sugar Sean came out. Sean was talking about, uh, hey, I'm out. I'm not going to do the backup fight. And it was very interesting because what an honesty, right? I mean, what, what an honesty. Sugar Sean comes out. Sugar Sean is always looking for attention. He is always looking for a headline. And he's very calculated in his strategy. He is the single best active fighter for you to study in terms of approach. Massive chess player comes out. He says, I'm not going to do the backup fight. Okay. Well, never had a backup guy pull out before. Why? And this is where the truth comes. This is where you, you see, okay, this is not a stick. This is not attention. He says, I don't have the motivation. Not knowing that I'm going to fight, not having the, the urgency 
to get into shape. I just can't work that hard in the gym. Knowing in my mind that I'm peaking and prepping for a date that I am far more unlikely to compete on than I am likely. I can't do it. And I won't be ready for 5-5. Five, five. Okay. Okay. I mean, I get that there's another side to that where that could irritate you or that could bother you. you. Say, hey, man, whatever it takes, you're the number one guy in the world. You've got to be above these things and above these motivations. I, I, I understand that side of it, but it sounds like a pretty straight comment to me. And Sean is one that cannot get comfortable, and everybody does. Like, it's a human nature situation, right? There's some things that are just hard to do. Well, as a matter of fact, the one I just laid out for you, that's human nature. That would be hard for anybody to get motivated. It'd be hard for anybody to dig a little bit deeper, get that extra sprint in, get that extra aerodyne, eat a little bit better. It would just be difficult. And I, and I, But I'll parlay that over with the comfortability. Sean was in a very unique position, which was he was in huge demand by you guys. And that came with a little more money than other guys that had his experience in the octagon. That came with a massively better placement on the card. I mean, you'd have Sean O'Malley unranked, and they go all the way to 15, which is a little weird. They should stop at 10. They go all the way to 15. He had no ranking. And Sean would be on a main card when a world champion in the same weight class had fought three hours before. I mean, it was one of these really unique spots. But for the haters, they were in a great position because they could just say he's not ranked. No matter what you do, no matter how well you're doing, we can stop you from doing what you want to do, which is all of it. We, we can stop your climb up the mountain from getting to the very top you're not getting a title fight and you're not going to the main event because you're not ranked. All of a sudden, he's ranked number one. And the haters, instead of pivoting, instead of pivoting and turning and coming up with a new argument like haters will do, they go, oh crap. And that's exactly what happened. Sean beats Yawn, and people are even giving him a hard time for that. That was a wrong decision. This is, I mean, they were giving, this is what the media was doing. Okay, this, this lasted. Saturday night, all of Sunday, it lasted Monday. The rankings come out at 9 a.m. on Tuesday morning. Sean goes from 10 to 1, and even the haters go, oh, crap. No more argument. This is the guy. Now, that is always going to be true for a period of time, and this is where getting comfortable is dangerous. I mean, I just look at that division. That is murderer's row. I didn't have to deal with this. I was fighting at heavyweight or, or, or even 205 and 185. We had two or three guys. You you go look at 135. They got 10 and 12 and 15 guys. Here, let me put this in perspective for you. Khabib's cousin, okay? So Nurmagomedov, the 35-pounder, is 16 and 0. And they haven't been close matches. The biggest name he ever took on uh, was Brian Kelleher, but Brian is a badass. And it was a very dominant fight. He's 16 and 0. He's ranked number 11. I'm not sure anybody in the division can beat him. And, and I word that maybe a little different. I think he can beat everyone in the division. I'm sure they can beat him too, but I think he could beat everyone in the division. He's ranked number 11, 16 and 0. That's how difficult this weight class is. So those guys are chasing you down. You look back as recently as Saturday. The feature match, the main event, was from within your weight class. So now these guys are getting attention. They're chasing you down. You make any slips. You upset anybody. You turn down any opportunity. It goes to the next guy. That's just what we do. That's just what we do. This sport doesn't wait around. So I, I just bring that to you because 35 is a very special place right now. I mean, it is a really wild and and bumpy ride and it looks as though we have clarity for a period of time we don't end up in this spot right we've known that henry was going to fight aljo guys for months I, I, when i tell you months we've known about this to the point that this was supposed to be the co 
on the card that went down in Perth. And that feels that was a month ago, wasn't it? So we've known about that, and we've still got to get to that fight. Then once we get to it, Sean is going to take on the winner. I mean, 135 looks like it's really tied up, but you've got these contenders, and they're coming out of every which direction. And the number one way to get an opportunity in this sport, all the politics, all the games, everything that you've got to do that you put into it, the number one way to get an opportunity in this sport is to be ready to fill in on short notice. Without exception. Ask Michael Bisping how well being ready to go on eight days works for you. Millions of dollars, world championships, UFC Hall of Fame. It wasn't just because Mike was a good fighter. He was a willing fighter. I just, I just bring you that example because when I, when I look at Sean, Sean doesn't miss opportunities. He's turning this one down. But he's very open with us as to why. Hey, I want the fight. I'll do the fight. Fight's no problem. I'm not doing this this part way. Okay. Just a situation we're in, but keep your eye on 135. And I think when I talk about the depth of it, I think my point with Nurmagomedov being 16-0 and and ranked number 11, I feel as though I've succeeded in proving that's a deep division. Glover Teixeira had weighed in on Alex Piera, and he was talking about Piera's size. He said Piera could have a future at heavyweight. Now, so what, right? So what? Well, no, hold on. That's actually very interesting. You've got to understand the source, right? If Chael came out and said it three weeks before a pay-per-view fight, you'd wonder, is Chael working? Is he just hustling? Is that, does he think that's a captivating headline that can grab some attention? You, you'd wonder. Glover has never done that in the history of his career. Not once. Not one time has Glover Teixeira just come and said something because he thought it was interesting or he thought it would get attention. Glover has transitioned into solely being a coach, right? If you are a coach in MMA... And you get a guy to a world title fight. You have more than succeeded at your job. Other coaches will look at you and treat you different. If you get a guy to the fight, if you get a champion, you are now going and you are sharing such incredibly rare air that it almost doesn't even get you a bounce. I mean, that really is the criteria in the echelon as coaches. Did you get a guy to a world title fight? And somebody won't even ask you. They won't even be rude enough to ask you, well, how did it go once you got there? I'm just sharing with you, but this is this is how it's looked at, right? You know, different industries and how people kind of look at it different. I'm sharing with... Glover's already got a champion. Glover had a world champion before he was even a retired fighter. It is extremely rare. So some footage broke the other day. And I don't think these guys meant for it to be a big deal. See, th- this is possibly the greatest thing about Glover Teixeira, and, and it's the thing that drives me crazy the most about him, because I like him. He's interesting. He does interesting things. He's surrounded by interesting people. He is not aware that he's interesting. He's not. Glover Teixeira, I just want to I want I want to put this in perspective for you. Two days ago, a video surfaces. Glover is training Alex Piera. They're working on some ground positions. Chuck Liddell is with them, being an onlooker, looking at the positions. And Chuck was interested. He was moving. That's how you know when a guy is paying attention and he cares, when he's moving so he can, he can see from different perspectives. It was great. Nothing else happened. I just told you the entire video. Chuck didn't say anything. They didn't interact. This wasn't a live session. Does it need to be? That sounded interesting, what I just said, didn't it? You got these three champions sharing a brain about ideas on an experience in a specific position that they believe they could find themselves in against Israel Adesanya. I mean, it's really interesting stuff. Okay, but Glover doesn't know this. Right? He doesn't know that that's interesting. He doesn't know people want to see that. So when he goes and sets this down that Alex could go up to heavyweight, 
let me put a couple of things in perspective for you. Alex is taller, right? There's a certain height that you have to have. People will always talk about reach and they will always talk to you about weight. A college recruiter, just by example, somebody whose job it is to know, will always look at height. Always. Particularly in a field of combat. I come from wrestling, for example, but if you're looking at a 97-pounder, 197-pound guy, and you're going to recruit him, he might weigh 208. You think you pull him down? He might weigh 185. You're not looking at that number when you offer him a scholarship or when you try to project and place him in your lineup. You're looking at his height. How tall is he? It's a very big deal. Johnny Hendricks, who's as good of a competitor, as good of a fighter as you've ever seen, as you've ever, Johnny is as good as anyone that's ever got in there, particularly at being a competitor, knowing how to go in in front of people, knowing how to work harder than you and get his hand raised, had a shocking experience at 185 pounds. I mean, this was stunning. Johnny Hendricks, from the time he was a nine-year-old boy, Never experienced anything athletically like he did at 185. You want to know what the problem was? Height. Kelvin Gatslam got around it, but it was our concern. Our number one concern with him going up to 185 pounds was his height. He got around it. Vo Chan Chin got around it. If you guys remember some of these names, Mike Tyson got around it, but there's not a lot of them. Spud Webb got around it, but there's not a lot of them. And I bring this to you because before we talk about what is Pierre Ware, what's he going to compete at, where's he the champion today, he's six foot four. Just so you understand, okay? John Jones is not. I don't know what John Jones is, but but he's not, is he six three? He's not six four. He's not taller than Pierre. If you guys got better data than I did, don't don't be a jerk about it. You understand the point that I'm proving. So Rilgon is not. Francis Ngannou is not quite that tall. He's got a very big guy. John Jones made it very clear to the world that he wanted to weigh 240 pounds before he got in there with those heavyweights. What John never told, at least not that I saw, is what he weighed. What he was walking around at. What he started at. We, our mind's all 205 because that's where he was competing. Well, you know, he pulled down to 205. John walked around about 225. About 225 pounds is what, what he hung out at. And then built himself to heavyweight. And he had the height. He had the shoulders. He was broad enough. We knew that he could do it. Piera walks around at 225. So, so Piera walks around and weighs the exact same thing when he's not cutting, getting ready for a fight, that John Jones did. John Jones moved up, Pierre could move up. I, I only share this for you because that is a match that we have never considered. We have never even discussed Pierre versus John Jones. But that is a wildly interesting match, isn't it? It is almost impossible to find a guy that has one dimension that's better than John's. It's not just a matter of, well, I'm better on my feet, he's going to have to take me down. We kind of thought that about Francis just because of the power. But just because of the power... There was no one out there that thought Francis had more of a finesse and was more likely to, to trick you or step in with an elbow or a flying. It, it was nothing like that. He's got the power. John's going to have to respect him. Might even need to get a hold of him and take him down to the ground. We've never thought that about anybody. Nobody is better in any position. There is no fighter that can fight Tyson Fury that I'd bet on. I'd bet on John. And I, I'm sure I would lose my money, by the way. There's no fighter that could take on Gordon Ryan and I'd bet on him. I bet on John. I will not bet against him. Not in anything. Cheering against him is different. I will not bet against That's how good, but you got to understand. He's not as good as Piera on his feet. Th that would be one position where we could say, okay. Now, I'm not attempting to get these guys matched up. I'm just attempting the, the, the food for thought here. If I was doing this, if I was the author of it, I would have had a, a, a reason. Let me give you an example. Pierre wants to go to 205 pounds. Dana does not like when somebody walks away from his belt. That is a sin from his vantage point. I could only surmise, I have no actual information, 
that behind the scenes when the idea has been floated to move Alex to 205 pounds, it has been met with some level of resistance. Some level of something that would make you understand that is not the wishes of the boss. And if you, if you ever read The Art of the Deal, one thing that is talked about by the author in The Art of the Deal is you go further than what you want. So, I mean, I would only suggest for you, if you're having a hard time selling somebody on the idea of 205 pounds, stop. Sell them on the idea of 265 pounds. You sell them on 265, it starts to make 205. Very simple. And I don't know if there's a little bit of horse trading going on here. There's a reason that Glover made that comment. There's a reason. There is a chance that is exactly what he's saying. We are thinking about going 205 and would be a threat. I apologize, heavyweight, and we're a threat. There, there's a chance. But there's also a chance that he's bringing you something a little bit more shocking so he can pull it back and get to what he wants, which is Pierre at 205 pounds. I think that's where it's going. I don't think he wants to hang out at 185. And I don't, I don't agree with popular opinion there. I, I don't have any problem with it. When somebody vacates the, I liked what George St. Pierre did. I liked the opportunity it created. I liked what ended up happening Right when, when Francis doesn't come back, but now you get two guys, they've got an opportunity to fight over the same. I, I just personally don't, I personally don't see that as a negative. Alex Pierre at heavyweight. 6'4", 225. That's your worst case scenario. Your worst case scenario, he just put on size like John Jones and it doesn't work. Okay, fine. He's still two and a quarter. Randy Couture was 222, just to put a perspective for you. Night that he won the world championship. Muhammad Ali was 198 pounds when he won the heavyweight championship, and Mike Tyson in his prime weighed 220 on the dot. So, I mean, I'm just sharing for you. That's interesting. That's really, really interesting to me. And nobody cuts weight for competition. You cut weight to avoid competition. I know we try to tell the story differently. Nobody cuts to meet a guy to get more respect. If you wanted more respect, you go bigger. That's the way it works. That's the way it's always worked. And we all know that. If you're good enough to win the 205 belt, you should not be at 185. I mean, you're, you're, you're underservicing yourself. You're giving us a view and a perspective. We think the 205 guy is tougher than the 185. We just do. We think if they ran into each other somewhere and it, it broke off, the 205 guy would beat up the one. That's what we think. And we think the heavyweight could beat them all up. That's what we think. So if you're good enough to grab something and it's at a higher weight and you want perception and history to be on your side, there's very good reason to do it. Now, you've got to get the blessing. You've got to get signed off on. Right? A lot of things that happen before you can even enter a division. But when you talk about all the things that have to happen before you can enter a division, I'll tell you, on anyone who has changed divisions, they all started the exact same way as Glover just did which is making the statement to the audience and waiting to see what your reaction is. Patty Pimlet hits back at critics who believe he has benefited from a UFC bias. Patty says, I am just a fighter on his roster, referring to Dana. It came out on bjpen.com. Let's take a look at that. What benefit is it that you are arguing that Patty's got? I've got to start with that. The only thing that Patty has that you could recognize from the outside and, and say, well, that came a little quicker than normal guy, is a placement on the card. He's got great placements on cards. I don't think he's been a co-main event yet, has he? Might have, might have on a on a on a non pay per view, but they're feature matches. They bring attention. There's built in mechanisms to being on the main card. Moreover, there's built in mechanisms if you're a co or a headlining act. And I'm only purely talking about media opportunities. There's requests and opportunities that are going to come that are exclusive to those guys. The press conference itself, nobody from the undercard gets invited. Doesn't matter how good you're. We've had world champions fighting on their cards. They don't even get invited to the press conference. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. But but that's why it's done this way. It's meant as an incentive. No different than any other job or any other line of work. You want If you want more of something, incentivize it. So the UFC has 
They don't discuss it. It's just for you to look around and see. But then you are in a position to follow the Vince McMahon golden rule that you're going to be given an opportunity. What you do at that press conference is up to you. And, and I only say that because the only thing that I feel that you could put on Patty for having an advantage, is that what we're calling it? Is his card placement. Dana didn't do that. You guys did. You put him there. There is a formula to know who goes on the main card. 100% there is. No, you could dumb it down and make it real simple. Get a room full of fight fans and walk athletes out one at a time and go off the ear test. Whoever gets the loudest pop, there's your main event. Whoever gets the next loudest pop, there's your co-main event. But you guys did that. I was in the room. I saw it happen. It was New York. They walked everybody out. They walked out Blonde Brunson. I didn't know Blonde Brunson was as popular as he was. They went crazy for him. They walked out Chris Weidman. This is in Chris's backyard. They went crazy for him. They brought out this dude with the Beatles haircut. They brought Patty Pimlet. I had to turn it out. I was working with ESPN. Patty turned it to ESPN and said, who is that? And I'd heard the name Patty Pimlet, things like this, but he was just wasn't a recognizable guy. The cra- they were going crazy. That is how he got on the main card. That is how he got the placement that he did. Not due to a favor. And he might have earned that. He might have gotten that and he might have achieved that a lot quicker than other guys. But you did that. You're the ones that clicked on his articles. You're the ones that found him interesting. You're the ones that wanted to hear what he had to say. You're the ones that thought the bangs and the donuts and the the whole character, you're the ones that thought that was a good idea. So I, I only share with you that I, I don't know that I can concede that there's a favor being done now for the placement on the card that he's getting. The competition, the ranking, the likelihood of defeat perhaps seems light, but he's not ranked himself. How good is he? And we do have to start with that. How good is he? He looks as though he's a great competitor. He's in great shape. He can bring a pace. He can fight everywhere. He looks as though his nerves are under control. From what we hear, size is on his side. That he kind of understands how to pull down some weight, how to, how to rehydrate. He's got the strength to go with some of these guys. But the mass majority of you believe that he lost to Gordon. So I'm just asking, what what guys do you want him to fight? At some point, you're going to have to step into that opportunity, but I I don't know how that is helpful. I'm open to it. If you see it differently, I'm sure that I I don't know how that's hopeful. That would have driven me insane. If I couldn't get the matches, particularly if I had the mandate of the masses, I mean, that's the number one thing that you want to go get on your side. It's the whole reason you get up and you go to the press conferences. It's the whole reason you're putting on the the tap out shirt and you're doing your hair in a certain way. I mean, it's the entire, Conor McGregor went as far as to tattoo his neck for these very reasons. To get up to go and get the mandate of the masses. So then you've got a little bit of stroke and you can start to position and maneuver. Patty did those things. He has those things. And he's still in fight and rank, guys. Now, the only way that's an advantage is if Patty wants it that way. If Patty's happy with this, if Patty's thrilled with the opponents, if Patty thinks, I got a great deal, I'm getting a lot of money, I'm not having to do that very heavy at work, okay, well, then I I suppose that you'd be right. But I'll just, I'll put you that exact same scenario, but I'll insert Bo Nickel. He's not happy about it. Bo is not, Bo wants a top guy. He wants a two, three guy. He wants whatever it takes to get him into the championship and he wants them now. So I offer, I offer Bo as a juxtaposition to Patty because it's the exact same scenario with the exact same treatment, with the exact same theories going in to the matchmaking. One guy, it's not what he wants. The other guy, possibly it's what he wants. I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit confused on what the advantage is. And anybody that spoke up and thought that Patty got a decision because of this special favoritism, boy, that seems like a stretch. Ariel Hawani had made a point on that. 
And Ariel didn't point to anything corrupt. He pointed out to some human nature, which was, the judges are also fans. They listen to the media. So if they know, if they can feel who the promoter wants, that that could influence their decision. That was a point that Ariel made. I wouldn't say that he's wrong. Human beings are human beings. There are some things of nature versus nurture that that happen, and it it seemed like a fair observation by Hawani. And I will tell you, in the world of boxing, that is how they fix fights. That's why nobody has to go to jail. They've been fixing boxing, and they'll continue to fix boxing, and nobody has to go to jail. But it's because that's how they do it. The promoter will never come in and speak to the judge. The promoter will go and speak to the media and just know that the judge is going to hear it. That is how you give the message. The world's hardest way to prosecute something is when somebody hides in plain sight. I mean, it's, it's a really difficult thing to do. And that's how they do it. And I will just share with you that to act as though that, that was some kind of a favor to Patty or that, that, that was something inappropriate, I, I don't know. I think if Patty were getting favors, I think. But it's a mindset. What kind of competitor are you, right? I lean to the Bo Nickel side of it. I mean, I, I will just share with you, they had an opportunity to put Patty against Justin Gaethje. And this was the biggest opportunity that I have seen in a meaningful period of time because with Gaethje came the president of Barstool Sports, Dave Portnoy. If, you, if this would have turned even slightly to Portnoy versus Dana White, you would have had a massive, massive opportunity here. Now, I've never heard Patty say he wanted that fight. That bothers me. As a Patty fan, that bothers me. I, I need to know that my guy wants opportunities. There's no point in me coming out and cheering for somebody if they don't want opportunities. There's no point in me thinking, okay, this is the next guy and this is the future, if he himself doesn't see or believe that. It bothers me. However, I give Patty a pass. And you want to know why? Because it's consistent. He didn't call it anybody. It's just not part of his shtick. Shockingly. Patty's known as this brash talker. He's known as a trash talker. Against who? I've seen him counterpunch and have to get specific on a guy before. I've never seen him, do, I've never seen him go after anybody. I, just, I haven't witnessed this. So when you talk about the placement, you talk about the opportunities, or you talk about favoritism versus uh, for Patty, more popular guy goes towards the end of the night. You did that. You did that. You're the ones that cheered for him, clicked on him, followed him on social media. You made him more popular than other guys. You put him in that spot. And as far as the opponent goes, I mean, that thing's got a real good checks and balances. Doesn't matter if you're a main event, doesn't matter if you're a co-main event, doesn't matter if you're the most popular guy. If you're not beating top-ranked guys, you're not fighting for a world championship. If you're not fighting for a world championship in this thing, what in the hell's it all about? Justin Gaethje believes he could knock out current world champion Islam Akhlachev says he's had to fight the perfect fight. That sounds right to me. I don't see any hype on that. Do you guys? Justin Gaethje could knock out. I feel like I could stop you right there. You wouldn't know if I was going to put John Jones at the end of the sentence. Would it matter? Justin Gaethje could knock out. (laughs) And we could just leave that one open. Yeah. Yeah. When he talks about fight the perfect fight. knock him out, he's got to stay on his feet. When a fighter comes out and says, I can knock this guy out, when he does it, when he calls the shot specifically, it could be I could submit him with a guillotine, whatever it is, but when he calls it specifically as opposed to saying, I want the fight, I can beat him. The fighter has identified for us the one way that he believes he would have victory. Now, fighters go out and surprise themselves all the time. They think they're going to go to a decision. They find a submission. They go ahead and take it. I'm just sharing that Gaethje has really let us in on his mindset. He believes to beat Islam, he's going to have to knock him out. Another way of saying that is, Islam's a better grappler than me. That's what Justin just said. And in exchange for that concession, he said, but I'm a more dangerous striker than he is. Interesting comment. Justin is in a very precarious position, and always is. 
there's generally just two categories, guys. There's the guys in MMA that are playing the game. There's the guys that in MMA don't even know there's a game to be played. And you usually would fall into one of those two. And I could look at any situation. Like I look at Justin Gaethje, he's just a top guy. Co-main eventer in his last performance, but it was on pay-per-view. Victory when he was the underdog. A fighter's fighter. What does John Anik say about Gaethje? Justin Gaethje is your favorite fighter's favorite fighter. It is such a true statement. The guys love him. The guys respect him. But I'll tell you what, it's because of that. He goes into a different category. It's not just, okay, here's your position. Here's what you need to do to go and get the world title fight if that's what you want. A lot of times it is. I give you a perfect recipe. Absolute perfect recipe. But Gaethje's in a unique spot. Nate Diaz lived his career and continues to be in a unique spot. Then It's just a deal that nobody else can get. And Gaethje's in that spot. Like, Gaethje is never the wrong answer for a world title fight. And there's some guys that are. Colby, to me, seems to be a very clear number one contender. There are people that push back. I mean, just, just to use an example for you. Justin Gaethje is not ranked as high as Colby. And if they announced Justin was going to fight for a world title, zero of our industry would push back. I've maintained for you for six years now, any question that you have at 155 pounds, the correct answer is Justin Gaethje. Any question, what should we do at? Who should we have at? Where should the backup guy be for? We want to do an ultimate fighter in this weight class. Who should we call? Any question you have at 155, you could insert a blanket answer of Justin Gaethje. I really believe that. But I don't know what he wants to do. See, that's the thing. We're not banding together to get Justin a world title fight, are we? But he hasn't made it clear that that's what he wants. I personally think it's interesting that Volk, Islam, and the IV have found a way to work that out. I personally think that that is very interesting. I am equally as interested in the fact that you don't. It's a miss by me. I, I would have thought when we put the pieces together of the IV information that died, unlike any other scandal in this sport, it died and died quick. The same period, same 24-hour period that it was announced that, hey, I will, in fact, put these two guys together if they win their next matches. Islam being the champion of the world and not calling out anybody. And I, I just think that that's interesting. Islam being the champion of the world and not getting called out by anybody. And I know what we all believe. Don't, don't think that I'm missing a piece of this because I have read some of your comments where you'll tell me, no, it's all of Aaron Darush. And that, but we've, we, we're saying that. that. That has never been official. That's us talking. We are declaring Darush and Oliveira the number one contenders match. And that that's what Islam's waiting for. I, I think we'll end up being right. I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm just telling you. That's never been said, not even by Islam. It, it, this is a totally different deal. If Islam's coming out and saying, well, you know, I got to wait for this fight to go. He's never done that. Ali Abdelaziz has never come out and said, this is what they're doing. I just think that's interesting. I just think that's a little bit of a surprise. And now, and now you have Gaethje mentioning his name, but not calling for the fight. And when you find Gaethje in, in, in these interesting positions, one thing that Justin did say, I never talked about it. I didn't want to make a piece on it. Quite frankly, I'm still in the direction that I don't want to because I don't want it to happen. Is that Justin called for a fight with Dustin? Now, while their first fight is amongst the great fights ever and their second fight would be amongst the great fights ever, they're not the same thing. If I was to ask you, if we get announced it's going to be Dustin versus Justin and I ask you, why are they fighting? What is this for? What is the purpose? What is the significance of this fight? You're not going to have a goddamn thing to say back to me. But if I would have asked you that at their first fight, you'd have had a heck of an answer. Absolutely about contenderships. Absolutely about world championships. Absolutely about iron on top of iron. It can only be one of us. You got a will. I got a will. The audience must know. 
who falls where. And they both look so good. They both went on and fought for world championships. Matter of fact, they both went one world championships. <laughs> they both went on and won world titles. I mean, it was, it was really meaningful, but now it would just be about that's one heck of a fight. And what do you do if they split? What do you do if Justin wins? You go back, you do a rubber match between these guys. I mean, that's the kind of bludgeoning that changes your career. A more dramatic person would say this is the kind of bludgeoning that, that, that changes your life. And there's plenty of reason to do matches just like that if you have the ingredient of a contendership, of something on the line. Both of those guys qualify. Both of the, either one of those guys could step right and fight for a world championship. Now that Charles is off the bill, soon as Islam won, it opened up opportunity for everybody, including them, but one of them would be eliminated. I mean, think about that. If those two went out and fought, which would be the war of wars for no reason, there would be, while I can't see the positive side of it, I don't see what the winner really gets. But I'll guarantee you, whoever comes in with the silver medal is out of talk, out of conversation for life for a world title fight. That conversation would never come up again, ever. It would move you into a different category. That seems like a big risk when there's not an upside. For two guys, that the world's not trying to get you fight. The promotion's not even trying to get you fight. You're going out to the media and attempting to build it from scratch. I don't want to see him fight. I just don't. While I admit for you, those are two juggernauts and it would be an amazing contest. So where does Justin Gaethje go? Is there a reason? Is there a reason that Justin talked about Islam but didn't go the further step to say that he wanted the fight? He didn't the step to call him out. Yeah, yeah, there is. Justin knows. Justin knows what I suggest to be true, which is that a deal was made. A deal was made as a resolution for the information with the nurse as it pertains to the IV that Dan Hooker brought to the world. That is why that went away. That is why that went quiet. The deal is zip it. Go do this, put you back in there. We all good? All right, we're good. And Justin knows it, which is why he's not calling for it. I think that's fascinating. I just don't know why you don't. is this feud between Leon Edwards and Dana White, right? And, and it's just an opposing opinion. It's an opposing opinion of who the number one contender is, who's going to get the next title shot, which equals Leon's next opponent. But but it is really important that you understand it in that order, right? Like, like Dana's job as the president is to identify the number one contender who will be fighting for the championship next. But then third is Leon's next opponent. Now, the only way Leon's going to think of it is who is my next opponent. He's not going to hear anything else, right? I mean, there, there's an integrity and there's an obligation that has to be done when you're in that decision-making role. I'm asking you guys, how serious is this battle? Because I'm not taking it very serious. I, I think that Dana has made it clear what they're going to do, but I don't know that I agree that Leon has put his foot down or was ever actually turning down Colby. I think the media turned that a little bit. I really do. And I think if you go back and you listen to the words and moreover you listen to the tone, you do that in conjunction with the timing that Leon just got done. When you were the champion and you were going to bestow, right, when you're, you're going to go out there, main event, for the strap, five rounds, world watching, there's a lot of things. You don't want to do that with your enemy. I had a devil of a time getting my match with Anderson Silva. And I cleaned out the division around me. He just, he despised me. He despised me so much. It wasn't that he didn't think he could win or he was scared or any of these things that, you know, you, you end up turning to. It wasn't any of that. He didn't want to do me the favor. Simple as that. H.L., go do something else with someone else. 
It's going to look different. It's going to pay different. The experience is going to be different. I have those things and I'm not giving them to you. I'm not going to share them. And I just felt as though that's what Leon was really talking about. I think Leon was also being a sportsman. He's got a past with Blahal and I don't know that he has heat with him. I don't know that the eye poke, and I don't know that those guys begrudge that. I think I think they built a respect. They never appeared to have a problem with each other before the fight. It's kind of hard to get heat going with Leon. But but then even after the fight, when the streak was broken, nobody really appeared to be mad at the other one. And I think they just formed a little bit of a bond. And I believe that Leon's saying it's not going to be Colby. It should be Blahal. It's just a tip of the hat. To his former opponent, I don't believe we ever got to the point that anybody was being serious. I mean, this announcement came 40 minutes, 50 minutes, maybe an hour. After the card had concluded and he won the world championship. I mean, he, he's mid-celebration. Nobody gets booked that quick. Nobody else is booked that quick. Colby happened to be there. The question came up, is he the number one contender? Yes, he's the number one contender. It's why he's here. Don't tell me that these guys can't fight. Had something happened to Kamara Usman, they would have fought tonight. I'd be at the press conference about their fight. So don't, don't act like it's weird that these two might have fought. You didn't have anything to say an hour ago when it would have saved the show. I mean, right, it's just, it's one of these situations. And, and I bring that to you because when you start to take a stand, you can start to believe in something. When you start to argue for something, you start to believe in something. You can work yourself into a shoot. And if Leon allows the media, and the naysayers to make as though it's a battle of wills, of stubborn heads with Dana. I, I don't think that that's the spot Leon's in. I don't think the spot he put himself in. And, and I do have to remind you in Leon's absolute defense, when Leon first said he will not be fighting, Col Colby doesn't deserve it. I think he even said, I'm going with Blahal. I might be adding that. I know he, I know he floated the name Blahal, but he, he for sure said no to Colby. He didn't know that Dana had said yes. And these were simultaneous interviews, right? Leon's in the back. He, he doesn't have a feed. He doesn't know what Dana's saying. He comes out. He says his piece. He leaves. Dana comes on the back. Reporter asks them both the same question. They get two different. They, they weren't actually butting heads. I mean, I really do have to bring this up. I really do. B because the only way you can do sport, the only way you can do above board sport is to have somebody else make those decisions. It must be that way. And I've heard that argued to the opposite, but you don't mean it, and no sport's done that way. The Olympic Games is done that way. Now it's in the form of a bracket. They set up an architecture known as a straight-line bracket. So the person that's deciding, decided when they decided to go with the format of a straight-line bracket, but it was still set. The Super Bowl, right? One team wins, you, 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 the other team wins, they just go play. There's not an argument, there's not a debate. And I share that because... What would happen if Colby Covington won? Colby Covington, correct me if I'm wrong, would become the biggest villain to be UFC champion in the sports history. Do you see it differently? And what would happen then? I mean, what would happen... When Colby's the champion of the world, where is he going to turn it up to then? What opportunities are going to present themselves? What media, what interviews, what spots? I'm just saying that's a very interesting thing to me. Th these two could not be more different as far as a character and a presence goes in that helm. Like where I'm telling you that Colby might be the biggest villain to be champion ever, Leon might be the nicest champion ever. He'd have to be considered. I've tried to rile Leon up. It just doesn't work. That's just not the game that he's playing. And it is a very interesting what if, right? I mean, what would Colby do? And that whole division is very different than what we thought, guys. It's very different than what we thought. Look, we've been spending the last two years two and a half years maybe, getting Chemayev ready, getting the audience ready for Chemayev to step in to an opportunity and quite possibly take the helm. 
Chemayev is now up a weight class. Kumar Uzman, the only guy that you could ever argue career and resume against George St. Pierre and not be laughed out of the room. I don't know where he's going to go. And everything is on the table. From retirement, I'm the only one using that word, but I'm just, I'm just saying, from, from everything's on the table, from retirement to I'm coming back. Colby, I gave you two opportunities. If you get the jump on Leon, it's you and me. I'm, okay. Kamar Usman could announce a retirement or he could announce that he's fighting for the belt over a guy who he's beaten twice. I, we don't know where that division's going to go. It looks very different and it's very compelling. I mean, it, it is really important that we get this match in the ring. We can argue about it and who's right and who's wrong, who doesn't, but we've got to get that match in the ring. While we're arguing about it, we got to get that match in the ring. The way that the division is going to move on and the direction that that division is going to go, you heard Dana talk about they're working on something big for Blahal. I don't know that that was the, the world's best kept secret, but just to share with you, that's Rachmanov. But that is big. That is big. Rachmanov is 16-0, I believe, off the top of my head. Looks completely invincible. That sounds a lot like the record of the guy that Blahal just fought and beat. That was just to remind you, Brady was 15-0. They're only separated by one. We really can't count Blahal out. And then what we would also have is a very clear number one contenders match. I mean, that division's in a really interesting spot. And I'm not pretending it's a foregone conclusion that Colby's going to go out there and beat Leon. I would, I would be very foolish to say that. I'm just sharing for you. That's the match. Get it in the ring. Let's worry about everything else later. Get them in the ring. And then where do you go with the division, with the matchmaking, with the character development? And where do you go as an organization moving forward with the welter? know Ian Parker, handicapper, gives you odds, as good as anybody at that job has ever been. I caught a piece that he did this morning, and you will remember over the weekend, Dana White talked about Colby's next for Leon, but then Dana talked about Blahal, and he was almost proud of some information he had as he said, we're working on something big for Blahal. And then, and then he kept everything close, but you, you could just tell by his face and eyes, he personally was excited about that. Okay, Rachmanov. Now, we believe that because something was said a previous week. We don't know that. And it would seem as though, why would Dana keep that a secret, considering it was said the previous week? It was said on his broadcast by his top broadcaster, Joe Rogan. Why, why would Dana then a week later... Reveal the Blahal, reveal the big, and not reveal the Rachmanov, who would very clearly be the B-side. Interesting. I hadn't really thought of it. But I did notice when Dana said that, that he didn't say what the really big thing was. I instantly defaulted to Rachmanov. Ian Parker had a different idea. That yes, it may be Rachmanov, or it may be Kamara Usman. Now... I love that point because as quickly as we are all happy to tear the tent down, load the trucks, and take the circus to the next town, one thing we have not done in the last two weeks is check in on Kamara. Kamara Usman was very quiet leading into this fight. It was hard to get an interview. It was hard to get a statement. It's hard to find out where he is training. It was just part of the approach that he was buckled down and real focused. But I feel like that's kind of the way it's been the last couple of weeks as well. Maybe maybe the people that reached out for interviews and comments just took the hint and they're not going back to it. Because it's very important that we ask Kamara, right? Who's the number one contender in that division? Of course it's Kamara. Of course it is. And, and this isn't a maybe, guys. We just did a poll yesterday. Now, 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 I did it for Grosso versus Shevchenko, but Shevchenko won this by light years with the argument of you guys being, of course she's she was just the champion. Of course she defaults down to the number one contender. You're right about that, sure. 
Sure, Kamara Usman's the number one contender. You don't have to use him. You don't have to give him a world title opportunity. Because everything is on the table, including retirement. And I'm the only one using the R word. I say that out of respect, meaning that Kamara has done everything. If he wants to say, take care, guys, and enjoy, we'd support that fully. However, what if it's just the opposite and we don't know? What if he said, hey, wait a minute. Colby, according to DraftKings, is a favorite to beat Leon. Now, Colby's getting this opportunity because I'm gone. Colby couldn't get that opportunity. He couldn't get back into a world title fight. I'm in the same spot. I'm the number one contender. I can't get it against Leon. I've already fought him three times. But if Colby takes him out, I would then fall into the exact position that Colby is now in, which is given an opportunity. So tell me what I need to do. As I'm looking around, it looks like Blahal's the guy. Give me Blahal. What if? And I'm I'm not betting that that's the situation we're in. I'm suggesting that when Ian Parker brings up that this mystery opponent that we've got for Blahal is Rachmanov, but it might not be. It might be Kamara Usman. It's interesting to me. That's where I'm so fascinated, and that's why I bring up retirement when I talk about Kamar Usman. Not because I think he needs to, or not because we're trying to push him. Not at all. Not at all because of that. I bring it up because if he's not going to do that, if he's going to continue competing the way Kamara's mind works, he's not looking for a match somewhere. He's not going to go out there and shake hands and He's just not. He's, he's a champion. He's got a champion's mindset. He's going to do whatever heavy lifting he has to do to get back to the championship fight. So if Kamar isn't going to retire, that means he's going to fight again. If he's going to fight again, who do you think he's going to fight? And that is where a blah makes a lot of sense. That is where a Rachmanov, if need be, would make a lot of sense. Usman's not going to come back looking for something light to do. It's a great point by Ian Parker. And I'm not willing to predict for you that they're about to announce Kamar Usman versus Blah. That I'm not. But the idea and the philosophy proving the point that everything's on the table for Usman. And while we don't have the answers, we tend to learn lean towards, well, you know, he could be done. What a great career. That's true. But if he's not, I don't I I argue he's not coming back part way. I argue for you, he's not He's not going to just be one of the guys. He's not going to be the new stepping stone. I don't think so. I think he's going to fight like hell to get the biggest opportunity that he can get. Particularly if he's looking at the, the complete landscape, right? I mean, imagine being Kamara Usman and Colby's the champion of the world. You look around going, the champion of the world's a guy that I defeated twice. I'm still here. Where's my opportunity? It's one of those spots where we're all going to go, yeah, he makes a really good point. You know, parody's important over here, but he makes a really good point. Kamara Usman versus Blahal. Could that be? Could it be? Why Dana didn't reveal the name. It's an interesting conspiracy theory, and I think it needs to be considered. The bullet came out. A little bit of an excuse factory. Did you guys catch this? She was with my old cohort, Ariel Helwani. They got a great thing going there. They got a real good relationship. I feel like Ariel can get the bullet when he wants her. I feel like she's comfortable with Ariel. I just maintain for you that the bullet is a villain. And I feel as though that that is a a massive plot twist that nobody saw coming. I, I feel as though if somebody is going to go bad guy, After they're already a well-established good guy, that's when you're going to get your biggest pop. 
You don't get it your first day on the job. You just sign a contract. You break in. You establish, I'm here. I'm there. I want the cheers. I want the booze. It, it's not like that. It, it, it takes a whole bunch of work. And once you have one and then you pull the rug, it's, it's massive. I mean, really, it's a very big deal. And I feel as though she's a bad guy, but just really does not want to embrace it. Look, if you ever want the same thing in life, the general theory is continue to do the same thing. And if you would like something different, whatever the scenario, you're going to have to do something different. I think that we can all drink to that logically. Okay. The Bullet wants a rematch with Grosso. Badly. We didn't want them to fight the first time. And when I make a statement like that, I always have to hear from you bullet marks in the comment section about how much you loved it and how your opinion isn't the same as mine. You know what? You don't get to do that when the fight happened and it was a co-main event for a world championship. You just don't get to do it. That's where you have to stand back and concede to me. And Chael, Chael got it right. I mean, yeah, I know. World championship and number one contender and was certainly billed and promoted and given every opportunity, but it could not headline a card. It didn't headline a card. And I bring that to you because she would really like the rematch. It would seem as though she's deserving. I can't remember somebody. I haven't looked this up, but just off the top of my head. It feels as though Shevchenko was one of the most successful champions that we've ever had. I want to put her at number one. I remember Anderson had 12 in a row. And they made a big fuss about this. But she is one of the most successful champions that we ever had. It would seem as though if she lost, she would default down to a number one contendership for her own championship. I believe on the judges' scorecards, she was winning that match before she was submitted. So I, I have absolutely no knock to her. And I do think that there's an integrity and there's a fairness. And why I won't go as far as to say it should be stowed upon her. I would certainly understand if the rematch was booked. Now, when you take into consideration what I just said, that the way that you went about that last fight that people didn't want to see, that last fight that was a world title fight that didn't headline the show, you're going to have to come about this one a little bit different, particularly if you really want it. The bullet goes on Ariel's show, and she started making excuses, and this even tied into the referee, Jason Herzog, who had brought them up. There was a position earlier in the fight where he, he brought them back up to their uh, feet for inactivity, and she thought in that situation she was doing enough to stay there, have an opportunity to settle in or even advance. I don't disagree with her. That's a referee's decision. What I'm sharing for you is it's an excuse, and you're blaming somebody else. And that's life. And we all do it. But when we do that in the world of sport, we are now a bad guy. There's only a few things that bad guys can do. In the olden day, it used to be very easy to establish yourself because there was a whole bunch of rules. There's a whole bunch of... So all you had to do was break one of them. And now the audience knows. When you don't have a whole bunch of rules... Okay, great. you got to go out and you tell a lie. And if you can't tell a lie because people don't know what the story and the truth is anyway, you can go out and use profanity, right? I mean, like, there's things that you could do, but there's only so many things that you could do. When you go into excuse-making, instead of tipping your hat, you're, you're turning to Grasso, who has one of the great victories and one of the great upsets in the history of the sport. Now, I realize it's not being celebrated, but it's not being celebrated because nobody watched the fight. Nobody watched the fight because it wasn't a feature match. But when she has that, I mean, Errol Awani himself, who hosted this interview went on record right after the fight saying, don't do an immediate rematch. And Errol had a very interesting argument that I've never heard before. And it stayed with me. I've thought about it. And what Errol said is, if you rematch them and the bullet wins, when you look back historically, it'll be as though Grosso never had the victory. If you go and you immediately rematch him and the bullet wins, the bullet will move on and Grosso will not. And when you look back, you'll have forgotten that it even happened. Interesting point. I don't think that affects the rankings. I don't think matchmaking is done with that in mind. But I don't know that Ariel's wrong either. And it does seem like for a level of sportsmanship, which is an ingredient that we would put into matchmaking, perhaps we need to look in a different direction. 
but the ball came out as she blamed the referee. There was a previous fight, the bullet won it, and she blamed a poor performance on jet lag. I believe she went over to Singapore, she won. If you win a fight, you, that you, as much as you can't have an excuse when you lose, if you in fact are a good guy, it's exponential if you win. If you win, you cannot then come tell the audience why your performance was bad. It is a terrible thing to do, but she did it. I believe at her core, you have a bad girl here. I think it just needs to be embraced. And I'm not putting her down when I say that, by the way. I think from an entertainment aspect, it, it would be wildly helpful. I just don't know that it's a stretch or that it would be a performance. I feel as though we're it's right here in front of us. I mean, I could go one interview to the next, to the next, to the next. I could, I could just keep going down them. And I'm standing back and I'm looking at going, that's not, that's not what the good person says. That's what the villain says. That's not what the good guy does. That's what the villain does. So I feel I feel as though it's right here. It just needs to be pronounced. No more apologies. No more saying sorry. No more. I mean, what is the point of going on Ariel's show and going, well, you know, Ariel's, I look back at that fight. I was in a situation. I was on the ground. And uh, I was making some advancements. And certainly throughout my time, Viewing the sport, I've never seen anybody in that type of a situation with that kind of activity being brought back up to their feet. What's the difference in saying that or saying, hey, Helwani, how about we back up two rounds to when that prick Herzog stands us up? What, is he trying to take her on a date or something? Why does he got to bring us up? I'm not in a closed guard out there. I'm out there pummeling her. She's huffing and puffing. As a matter of fact, I got side control and I'm getting ready to set up an arm bar. Somebody comes in and brings us up. I got I to gotta literally let her arm go. I was just about to pull my knee up, pull this thing back, hyperextend it. We're all going to be heading to the bar. What would the, what, what's the difference? She's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. She's blaming a referee's decision for something that happened earlier on in the fight that changed the outcome. What difference does it make? What One's interesting. One's fun to listen to. One will get people to stick around and stay there and come back tomorrow. One you can make headlines off of. And you can parlay. The other you cannot. And if you're in a situation where you really want a rematch, it would seem as though no one's in a hurry to rematch a fight that we didn't want to see in the first place. I mean, it would just seem as though. It's your career. Do what you want with it. But it's, it's really important to be aware at all times of where you're at. Really important to, to, to understand when you're at a press conference and those questions start coming in and you got the belt and you got the cornrows and you're sitting up there with a smile and you get three questions when a coke addict with no belt got 13 questions. I mean, if you're not keeping track of that stuff, if you're not seeing that as a problem, if you're not seeing that this is a competition, it's, it's, it's a very interesting spot. And not for nothing, I can't just give Grosso a pass. If Grosso wants to rematch the bullet, okay, great. Go, go ahead and do what you're doing, which is absolutely nothing. If she looks at the bullet and goes, that's a really hard opponent. Whew, I got past it there in the rear view. I want to go do something else. Go out there and get something going. As much of a snooze fest as the bullet was, it's more than I got from Grosso. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And guys, we got a busy weekend ahead in combat sports. PFL kicks off its season. Bellator has got an event, and Gamebred Boxing is even making its return. Enjoy the weekend. Come back on Tuesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Welcome.